months into our time in D.C., 9-11 happened. And, uh, and everything stopped. And I, I kind of started to shut down. I experienced my first bout of depression. And then in the coming months after 9-11, we had to deal with uh, the Beltway Sniper. Some of you remember that was, he was killing people, shooting people all around where we lived. We had to deal with the anthrax uh, thing that was happening. People were sending anthrax in the mail. We were afraid to go get the mail. We were afraid to go to the gas station. And then finally we got called to, oh, and during the two years we were there, my car was broken into twice. After two years, we followed God's call to Stillwater to plant a church. We thought, oh, finally, the craziness of D.C., Northern Virginia, is behind us. And three months into our time in Stillwater, I was driving to a pastor's meeting in Oklahoma City, fell asleep at the wheel, and crashed my car. Very easily could have died. Uh, Six months later, we found out that Rachel had skin cancer on her nose. And then, church planting. (laughs) And so many of the people that came to some of our initial Bible studies left before we were able to really get up and going with Sunday morning worship. It was incredibly difficult. The the partner I thought I was going to be getting, a new campus minister we thought would come within a year or two, ended up taking six years to get to campus. I used to think that Jesus was the guy who put all my ducks in a row, but I learned, I think he's the guy who comes and he kicks them all over. Mike Iaconelli, who was actually a writer on youth ministry, he once wrote this. He said, we're told that when Jesus comes into your life, he takes all the ups and downs of life, all your struggles, and gives you balance. That's baloney. That's a lie. I think Jesus makes our lives lopsided and crazy. What is faith? Is faith fixing everything? Or is faith a kind of deep trust in the erratic, crazy, spontaneity of life? Is it recognizing that God is at work in all of that craziness and actually doing something in me me and you that can be trusted? I learned following God's call that doing God's will can be messy. And not even if you're in full-time ministry. Any Christian's life gets messy. Maybe one of the most dramatic instances of this, of God making someone's life messy, is the book of Hosea. Now, Hosea was a prophet in Israel who lived in a very peaceful, affluent time. But that affluence, that prosperity, led the people of Israel to begin to trust in their wealth, to turn away from God and his ways, and to go running after the gods of the other nations and to worship their gods. And so uh, God sent Hosea, really destroyed Hosea's life in order for him to be a living witness to Israel about their sins, but also about his love for them. Uh, Han Robinson has said that this story in Hosea has been, it's been told a million times, right? It's a story of a, a bro- broken vow, a broken home, a broken heart, a broken life. But it's also uh, so unique that it ranks as one of the most amazing stories in all of literature. Now, we find the story of Hosea, uh, it's the f- 
in the first book of the last section of the Old Testament. Now, this section is known as the Minor Prophets, which is really uh, an unfortunate name for it because they're not minor because they're minor in importance. They're minor, they're called minor because they're shorter uh, prophetic books, right? They're shorter, they tend to be shorter than the major prophetic books with their, sort of like Jeremiah, like 50-something chapters, right? Uh, but we find in Hosea a lot about God and about life. And, and I've also found that these prophets, especially the minor prophets, are, are ones we don't read a lot, do we? So we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at Hosea and seeing what we can learn about God, who he is and about who we are. So we're going to begin uh, by reading the first three verses of the first chapter of Hosea. If you are able, please stand for this reading of God's word. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. This is God's word for God's people and for the good of the world. Please be seated. Now, some of you may be thinking, you may be asking, did this really happen? Did God really tell one of his prophets to go marry a prostitute? And the answer is, yeah, this really happened. There was a real man named Hosea. We read about him in some of the other Old Testament books who married a woman named Gomer. In fact, in the very first verse we just read, the, the author of this book goes to great pains to tell us how historical this story. He talks about the kings of Judah and Israel and the time in which Hosea lived. We know that Hosea was also a contemporary of prophets like Isaiah and Amos and Nahum and, interestingly, Jonah. And that we also know that the nation of Assyria, whom Jonah was called to preach to, would come within a few decades of Hosea's ministry, destroy Israel and take the people off into exile. But we learn from Hosea a lot about not only God's plan for Israel, but about who God is and about life in general. And the first thing we learn is that God is not a safe God. Look again at that infamous command that he gives in verse 2. He says, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom. Now, that's an interesting translation. Uh, the, that phrase, that the word that's used there for wife of whoredom, it doesn't mean someone who's just down on their luck or even a temple prostitute, which was a kind of a legitimate job in other countries back then. Rather, it indicates an intentionally unfaithful woman. A more literal translation of this would be a wife with a roving eye, or as the NIV states it, a promiscuous woman. 
It says, go take a promiscuous woman and children who will be the result of her adultery. <laughs> We're going to see as we study Hosea how, how messy his life really becomes because of that. But the first thing that we want to take away from this book is a general relationship principle, which is this, right? When you want to get married... Uh, according to Hosea, you ought to look for a very promiscuous person and then try to marry them, right? Isn't that biblical? Isn't that what we just read? Not quite, right? Because, of course, in the Bible, there are some commands that are intended for everyone, right? For instance, the Ten Commandments. They were given to Moses and Israel, but they were intended for all people everywhere, but when God, there are also commands that are intended for specific people. When God commanded Moses to go up Mount Sinai and receive the Ten Commandments, he was the only one that could go. In fact, if anybody tried to follow, God said he would kill them. Right? So there are specific commands. In the book of Deuteronomy, we have an interesting law that's given. It says that priests are forbidden from marrying women who are not virgins, Right? And so I think we can say with pretty good certainty that Hosea's, uh, this, God's command to Hosea was unique, one-time command for a specific reason to a specific individual. Nonetheless, it's pretty wild, isn't it? Do you think of God as being wild? I think as Americans, we believe that we have a basic right to safety and security, right? And we kind of have this belief that if we would just make enough money to get the car with all the safety features and the house in the gated community, right, we will be able to buy safety. And it's true, right? Money really can bring uh, some safety, but absolute safety is an illusion. You are never totally safe in this world. One of the wealthiest men I know, he and his wife were in their late 50s, and his wife was in fantastic shape. She played tennis every day. One day, a freak brain aneurysm happened to her while she was playing tennis. She was rushed to the hospital but died before she got there. 41-year-old firefighter from Stillwater that I knew was in fantastic shape, contracted COVID, had to be taken to the hospital, wound up in a coma, spent four months, over four months in the hospital, had to have a double lung transplant, became this close to death. We recently commemorated the 10th anniversary of the Joplin tornado. 162 people died, most of them with less than 20 minutes of warning for a storm that was coming on an otherwise pleasant Sunday afternoon. So an absolute safety is an illusion in this life. Because the world is not safe. I hate to say it, God isn't absolutely safe. Some of you, many of you remember how Aslan is portrayed his description is given in the lion the witch and the wardrobe when susan finds out that aslan's a lion she says is he safe and mr beaver says safe who said anything about safe of course he isn't safe 
but he's good. God is good, but I think he cares a lot more that we trust him than that we are safe and comfortable in life. How do I know this? Because there is there's not a single instance in Scripture that I can think of where God commands someone to pursue a comfortable life, right? Or gives them a formula for a totally balanced life. Why? Because as, as soon as we get that formula for a balanced life, for the, the eight steps to a victorious life, we lose any need for trust, for faith in, in an all-powerful God. We start trusting the formula. We start trusting the comfort. The pattern that we see most often in Scripture is God pulling someone out of their ordinary life and asking them to do something really hard for him by faith, right? He calls Abraham. He says, go, leave your extended family, leave this country, and go to a far country where I will direct you. I'm not even going to tell you where we're going, but I'll get you there by faith. To Noah, he said, build this big boat for this flood, and no one's going to (laughs) understand, but trust me. To Moses, he says, go to the most powerful man in the world. Tell him you want his workforce because they're my people and I want to take them to another country. To David, he says, leave your sheep and your pasture lands and go and become the ruler of Israel and fight that giant Goliath and fight against the armies of the Philistines to bring Israel to a place of peace. To Isaiah, he says, go, tell people things that they don't want to hear and they will not understand. To all the prophets and Paul and the apostles, he says, leave your comfort zone, preach the gospel, despite persecution and suffering. Friends, if you think God's ultimate will for your life is to make enough money so that you don't have to take any chances or leave your comfort zone, you have not read the Bible. I think sometimes the problem is that we misunderstand the gospel's call because we misunderstand what holiness is. Holiness is not separating yourself and staying clean of all the problems and the mess in the world. Holiness is actually determining to enter into the muck and the mire of the world in order to bring about beauty and love and redemption. How do I know that? Because that's what God does. And God is the Holy One. God gets his hands dirty with us. Now, where does, this mess, where does the mess come from? It comes from us, right? It comes from our selfishness, our wickedness. In fact, the, right there in verse 2, God tells us why he's doing what he's doing and blowing up Hosea's life. Why? Because the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, clearly God is using that term, the land, to mean the people, right? My people, Israel, they are like a faithless wife who's running after other gods, after other pleasures, right? And and what does he do? They've made a mess of their life and their faith. 
And so he sends Hosea, he destroys Hosea's life in order to be a living picture of their true condition. Now, most of us don't want to know about our sin, do we? We don't want to recognize and admit the mess. We certainly don't want other people to see it, right? We we try desperately to not let people see our struggles and our insecurities and our, our sins because we're afraid they might find out that we're not as good as we seem. Well, that's the bad news of Hosea. The bad news is that you and I are Gomer. We are the faithless ones who've run after other gods, run after every other pleasure, and run away from God. We need someone to pursue us, to buy us out of slavery, and to clean us up. But the good news of Hosea is that we have a husband who loves us. Jesus is our Hosea. Right? He, is, he is our faithful lover. In fact, the, the root word for Hosea's name is the same Hebrew root word for Jesus. Yeshua and Hosea. They both come from this word that means to save or savior. See, Gomer needed someone to save her from herself. Israel, the people of Israel, needed God to save them, and we need someone to save us as well. And that's the gospel story that we read about, right? We read about it starts in in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 with the Christmas story. (laughs) The story of the incarnation. What is the Christmas story all about? It's not primarily about a bunch of angels and shepherds and wise men who come to sort of share an inspirational night and talk about peace on earth. No. The story of Christmas is an outlandish, crazy story. It's, It's the story of God coming to earth as a man, God leaving the throne of heaven and perfection to come and to be born in a dirty barn in the place where the animals fed, right? It's, it's a messy story of God, of Jesus coming to take on our problems, to take on flesh, and then to take on the full weight of the punishment that we deserved in his body. It's the story of Jesus coming to take an endlessly promiscuous wife, to stick by her, to cleanse her, to sanctify her by the washing of the water of the word in order to present her perfect at the day of judgment. Jesus didn't stay away from the mess. He got completely dirty for us and drowned in it. But then he rose again, victorious over sin and death, having buried our sins forever. You know what I've learned after all these years of being a pastor? I've learned this. Don't be afraid of the mess. Either in your life or in other people's lives. Now, 
to be honest, I still do get afraid. I would rather not look into the deep and dark places of my heart, the secret sinfulness that I would rather sweep under the rug. I sometimes get afraid to get involved in another person's messy life. But when I do, you know what I find? I find that Jesus is there. He's there in the middle of the mess. He's there in the gutter. He loves to redeem messy lives and to bring beauty from the ashes. Listen, I know coming out of quarantine and months, a year of isolation, I think some of our lives have really changed. Anecdotal evidence Seems like there's not, there's not a few, probably quite a few older people, couples who've realized that their, their marriage is a mess. It was on rocky ground. And quite a few younger people who have spent so much time in front of a computer and online who've fallen into some form of addiction, sexual immorality or... Uh, And the worst thing that you can do, if that is you, is to hide and to pretend like nothing is wrong. Because when we hide, we blunt the grace of God in our lives. And we also don't allow other people to come into our lives to help us and to also watch and learn from our stories of redemption. Jack Miller was a Presbyterian pastor in Pennsylvania And his life was completely turned upside down one day when his teenage daughter came to he and his wife and told them that she was through with Christianity, that she was done living by their values and morals, and she left the house and pursued an immoral life for years. And Jack and his wife, Rosemary, thought that, especially in the beginning of that time, that God's main task, his main issue was to win their daughter Barbara back from her prodigal lifestyle. But what they found when they entered into the mess, when they more and more they prayed, they realized that God also wanted to expose their own hearts, that he wanted to expose their lack of love, their lack of honesty, their lack of faith the dysfunctional family dynamics that they had introduced, that they had created, and that they needed to deal with those things as much as Barbara needed to deal with her issues. The story had, has a happy ending, but instead of sort of hiding it or even keeping themselves, refusing to air their dirty laundry, they, they wrote a book about it, Come Back Barbara, in which they shared the dirty secrets. And that book has been a great help to me and many other people. So let me encourage you, don't hide. Face the mess. Get help. Get counseling. Let God use other people to get you to a good place. And let me say this too. If you are a skeptic uh, here listening at home, examining the, the claims of Christianity, I want you to know that you do not have to clean yourself up to come to God. You don't have to get rid of all your problems and clean yourself up. That's Jesus' work. 
just come as you are and come to him in faith. He's, he's not safe, but he is good. And we are not clean, any one of us on our own, but we can all be cleaned up by God's redeeming love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there's nowhere that we can go where we can hide from you. If we go up into heaven, you're there. If we go down into hell, even there, you're there. (laughs) If we run, if we settle on the far side of the sea, still your presence is there. Can't hide from your spirit. And we thank you also that Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. Not height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities. Anything in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ once he has determined to love us. Thank you, Lord, that no matter how messy our lives get, you are there. And we can go to you. And we can work through it. Father, would you give us the courage to face our mess? Would you clean us, wash us, and make us pure? In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.